Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, friend of the show from both the radio network of the Pacers and Bally Sports Indiana, former NBA guard Eddie Gill is with us. I'm assuming, too, that you would want in on these barbecue Fritos, right? You'd want in? Want you a little something, too? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about the Frito thing. I'm not, I'm not. Come the Frito on, buddy. Thing. Hey, come on, man. Come on. And, and, and you know what? And oh. the, the biggest thing is I'm not paid to stay in shape any longer. So I'm trying to figure out something from the, from the, what I ingest. Oh, do you keep track? Do you? Well, I try to, I, you know, I have my days. <laughs> I will tell you this, for you guys when you're on the road, I can't imagine because there probably is a lot of time spent on a treadmill somewhere in a hotel because it's not like you're eating great, especially on a uh, nearly two-week, seven-game Western road swing as you guys went through back in December. All right, Eddie, I want to double back to last night's game. Um, I contend that had Andrew Nemhart taken two dribbles and crossed half court, the Pacers win last night. That's basically how close I felt they were to winning that game. Because when you think about it, there's either going to be clock run or he's going to get fouled, go to the free throw line. And at the very least, you go one or two, you're up five. I feel incredibly solid about that. And I'm not putting it all on him because, you know, there was something else, another turnover that kind of led to their downfall in that tie at the end of regulation. But I think when you look at it in terms of what if, that's where I start. Yeah, there's there's a handful of plays uh, that that you know that they would like to have back. Obviously, uh, that that was one of them. Um, but obviously, you know, there's, there's they get they get a ton of credit for battling back. Looks like they were out of that game and they're able to to get back in there and and uh, and, and looks like they're going to win it. Um, you know, in the latter part of that game, just a couple mistakes away, and um, you know, and, and give you know the 76ers a lot of credit for what they were able to do. Uh, no Embiid, those other guys took it personally to some degree, and they were able to make plays as well. You can speak from experience. You were in the NBA. Uh, this is a young team that's learning how to do a lot of things. And, you know, in the in the NBA, there's a stat called, you know, clutch situations. And the Pacers have been uh, better more times than they haven't in clutch situations this year. But as a former player, how difficult is it for a youngster, especially at the guard position, to learn to salt away, to put away games like that, especially on the road? Yeah, it's definitely a learning curve that they go through. And, you know, with the veteran presence, you try to expedite that as best you can. Uh, we also know the experience is our, is our best teacher as well. So it's good for them to, to, to be in the fire a little bit and feel what those experiences are like uh, on, on this level. But, yeah, it's a difficult difficult challenge when, you, when you're talking about uh, being able to figure out ways to close games out, make the necessary decision, time, score, situation. You know, how do you manage all those, ty- those types of things uh, in terms of w- when to be aggressive, when to look to make a play? when to pull it back a little bit, draw a foul, get to the free throw line, as you referenced, um, you know, those types of things. So it's, it's definitely uh, a challenge in, in, in the speed of the game, the size of the guys that are out there. You're still trying to navigate all that as well, um, not only just the strategy. So Eddie Gales on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, that final possession that Philly had to tie it up, 
Maybe I'm wrong about this, um, and I know it's just like one moment again, but it seemed like that not everybody ran the floor. It seemed like that Miles went up for the block, momentum took him out of bounds, and then Tobias Harris kind of picked it up and, and laid it in uncontested there for the tie. And I, I kind of thought Miles looked back and kind of wondered where his guys were at that point. Did you see that too? Yeah, I mean, the, the Philly definitely had a a head start in that in that space there, and uh, Miles yeah. back and makes a, makes a nice play. I, I'm, I'm yeah, we're definitely um, more Seventy Sixers in the picture than there were Pacers. You know, the reasoning behind that, I don't I don't know, uh, based on on where the where the turnover happened, but um, yeah, you know, plays like that, you, yeah, you want all your guys busting back, and you want everybody, um, you know, trying to make it a, a full effort to, to get back the in reason- play. And the reason why I bring that up is this this team hasn't done much of that, really very little. They don't, you know, take for granted situations. You know, they, they play it out. And, and you know this, in a long NBA season, if you've been there for a long time, veterans would tend to, you know, go ahead and kind of defer and, you know, this is middle of the season, whatever. But these guys haven't done that very often at all. Uh, they'll play till the end, play to the whistle, whatever like, cliche you want to use. And, you know, last night just kind of seemed like that maybe at the end that wasn't one of those. But for the most part, that has not been an issue whatsoever with this group. No, and that's what you want, you, especially with a young group. You know, if, if, uh, if Rick Carlisle and the staff is – is coaching effort, you know, then, then there's a problem that, you know, the, the wealth of knowledge that that staff has and in terms of strategy and execution, you, you can't get to that if I'm coaching effort. And that's on any level. Um, this group has not been that type of group. They've done a great job of going out and playing hard, competing uh, early on in the season when, they, when they've gotten down in, in games. They, they seem to always battle back. Uh, you reference what, they, what they've been able to do in uh, these clutch moments. They're, you know, it's like a 180-degree turn from what they were doing last year in terms of these close games. Uh, they've done a great job of kind of locking in on the details, getting stops to just give them an opportunity to get on the other end and score. Uh, because in those clutch situations, we know both teams uh, play with a little bit more intensity. They play with a little bit more uh, sense of urgency. And, and the Pacers are, are definitely coming out, um, you know, winners more than they're not in these situations here of late. Pacers get the Blazers coming up tomorrow night. Eddie Gill from the radio network and the Valley Sports Indiana joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. They got to get a little payback coming up tomorrow night, by the way, against the Blazers from that roadie about a month ago. But I, I want to look at this team for a moment, and we, we know the, the type of – situation when miles is on the floor it seems like everybody has their rearview mirrors on they they know that he's there they expect him being there and that that changes the dynamic when you think about that certainly uh to those on the other team but i'm curious your thoughts on buddy healed because advanced scouting at all can you tell now that there is the utmost respect certainly a lot more respect on not just closing out on his three, but maybe trying to get there before the ball is reversed to him now? That type of shot-making respect that we have seen in the past couple of weeks considering the tear shooting the basketball buddies on? Yeah, he's on a he's on a, a heater like we haven't seen before. And and, um, and to your point, teams are now overreacting, right? Um, yes. So, and you've seen a lot where, you know, I don't know, it's a handful of times each game where he's able to just get to the rim and lay it in as if nobody else is on the floor. And that's because of their overreaction on the on the on the three point line, because he's the guy who's willing <laughs> to take it with defenders close to him, 
uh, or you know, you would you would seem to be that they're contested, and it looks like it's a bad shot. But he's taking and making those shots right now. So yeah, so teams are definitely overreacting, and now he has the ability to get all the way to the rim, lay it in. You know, we've seen him make a couple plays for teammates. He's dropping it off for Miles and, and, and Jalen and those guys at the rim sometimes. Um, so yeah, his his shot making is just invaluable right now. And, and even if he if he starts off cold or or, or not, um, teams have to respect it. And now that just opens the floor up more for Tyrese Halliburton to do his thing in pick and rolls. You bring up a great point, too, uh, because it, it gives him an opportunity. I mean, we know this, that the NBA, these guys – 95% of the time, uh, close out out of control. And when you have that on your mind, that this guy is stroking it at that level, they're closing out out of control. He's, you know, getting into the painted area and getting layups, you know, left-handed layups, layups on the front of the rim, whatever. But the point I made last week is after that Cleveland game, there were a couple of different times where Halliburton had the option to pass it into the corner, ball faked, and Donovan Mitchell came out and covered Buddy before the ball got there because of the tear that is on which led to two made threes by Halliburton. That alone is, to me, kind of like what Miles brings to the table. And that advanced scouting, these guys know where these guys and what these guys have been doing. I think that gives you a really good advantage of both offensively and defensively, you know, turning a possession into some chaos. And, and that's something, especially with Buddy in mind, that you did not see at the beginning of this season, teams covering him like that offensively. Yeah, when you have guys like that on the floor, it just makes it so much easier for, for everybody else to kind of get off. And and Tyrese Halliburton has been shooting the ball extremely well himself, so now they've really got a problem if you're the defense on, in terms of and, – and I know exactly which play you're talking about. It was on the left side of the floor when, when Buddy Hill yep. was in the, sitting in there in the corner. And, uh, yeah, and Garland was like, hey, I'm letting anybody else shoot it in the building except for this guy. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and Tyrese Halliburton was wide open for, for that left wing uh, three-point shot. But, yeah, it makes it just – so much easier when you have, uh, you know, elite players on the floor, you know, doing things like that because they, the other guys have opportunity to, whether it's a jump shot, whether it's getting to the rim. Now they have more room to operate because the help defense, there's not going to be help defense where, where in other cases there might be. Um, and now you just see a lot of open shots on the perimeter and then also finishes at the rim. Eddie Gill joins us. Have we seen slowly but surely here Aaron Neesmith find a role and be consistent in that role as of late? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited and, and happy for Aaron Neesmith. Uh, I, I love to see guys who kind of, you know, had to sit for a minute and, and wait their turn. You know, he's out in Boston. He's playing behind J- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. It's going to be hard to, to, to crack those minutes. Um, granted, he was he's a young player, and, and maybe down the line he would have, but he definitely would have had to wait his turn. Uh, he comes here, there's some opportunity. Uh, and initially he, he earns his spot on the floor by guarding anybody and everybody, uh, specifically the best players on the floor. He and Nimhart have kind of taken on that task of guarding the best perimeter players on the opposing team. But now we've seen his offense just take off uh, with three-point shooting. Uh, we saw the finish that he had, the, the dunk that he had a couple games back, and he's you know elite free-throw shooter. He hasn't missed one in, in several games. I think he's like... 24 in a row, 25 in a row. I can't remember what it is. Uh, but, man, I'm, I, I can be happier for him, and he's definitely found his niche and where he can be effective for this team. You know, Eddie, before I let you go, uh, Isaiah Jackson is, you know, giving some good time in in Fort Wayne right now to give him a little bit of run. And you know, the reason for that is 
because it seems like Rick Carlisle, this team, and Jalen Smith himself have become really comfortable in that backup big role for Jalen Smith. What have you noticed about that, the, the evolution of that, and is that something you think is, is going to be here for the remainder of the season? Do you like it? In terms of Jalen Smith being the backup there? Yeah, being okay. the backup and, and yeah. just going between he and Miles. I know that kind of, yeah. I guess you would say, could stunt the growth of Isaiah Jackson, but at the same time, it seems like the best means in which to be effective, both offensively and defensively in that big role for the Pacers. Yeah, and it's been, I think it's been incredibly effective. And, and then, uh, you know, to give them some more confidence in that, you know, the guy you referenced before, Neesmith, has been able to go in and, and into the start, starting lineup have been, been really effective. Jalen Smith can come off the bench now, and he can go to the five position instead of trying to play the four uh, alongside Miles. And and uh, he's done a heck of a job of, of just rebounding and scrapping and just outworking guys. I think a couple of games ago he had about seven offensive rebounds. Um, he's been he's done great in pick and rolls. Um, he's had his fair share of blocks as well. Um, so it, it's it's definitely uh, worked well. They they've found something with this rotation, both the, the starting group and obviously that that bench unit has been tremendous. Uh, Jalen Smith has been a, been a big part of that unit. And then uh, as far as Isaiah Jackson, I think it's important that he continues to get reps. So this is where the G League comes in in, in big play here and, and so uh, incredibly positive for overall um, the NBA as a whole, right? When you have guys like that, a high draft pick, um, who, who may have to wait his turn to some degree, but he can still go get some good playing experience. Last time out against the Blazers, uh didn't go that well. Yeah, we saw that. I think um, the low mark of that game was – Pacers gave up 39 in that third quarter, lost by 16. What's your impression on this matchup from what you've looked at so far in prep for that matchup tomorrow night at Cambridge Fieldhouse? Yeah, once again, you'll have, have your hands full. Um, there's, there's no nights off, and, and definitely when you have a team like that with you know, a lot of scoring and, and, and firepower with, uh, with, the, with the team that they have. So um, that's an area of, of improvement that the, the Pacers will continue to, to, to seek night in and night out. Is just really trying to lock in on the defensive end. They've been so good offensively, uh, but but on nights where your offense falters, you got to be able to hang your hat on the defensive end to be able to you know keep yourself in the game. So um, you know one of the best guards in the game, Damian Lillard coming into town. Uh, Anthony Simons is, is a dynamic scorer. So again, a, a really good backcourt and, and, and strong perimeter play there. So. Uh, focus on trying to con- contain the penetration, I think, is the biggest thing for this team, regardless of the opponent. Can control the ball in the perimeter. Uh, that solves a, a lot of problems uh, overall as your defense and definitely your rebounding. You know, what's funny about this is I, I really like Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant over 22 points per game. Always seems like he doesn't get enough run for what he is. Like I give you a great example. I think if he were on this Pacer team, he would be an incredible addition to them and what they are right now and who they want to be right now. I'm not suggesting that's in the cards, but that's what I think about him as as a player and what he he has transitioned to certainly in the past couple of years. Yeah, there's no question about it. I love Jeremy Grant. His his versatility is is, is amazing. You, you know, think back what he was able to do with the Nuggets, with Jokic and, and Murray. Uh, then he goes to the Pistons. Obviously, they're they're a rebuilding team. So he's the kind of guy that that uh, this is a good fit for him to be on the team that's trying to win now. They're they're trying to get some things done. They have some other veterans, really good players. But his versatility is is incredible on both ends of the floor. Uh, and he's a tough cover. Um, yeah, he's a, he's one of my my favorite players in the game for sure. 
to Eddie Gill. Hear him, watch him. Uh, He's the full bag right there, both TV and radio, even though he completely dismissed Barbecue Fritos. That's all right, buddy. It's all right, man. You're still my guy right there. But uh, enjoy listening, enjoy watching, and uh, have a great call coming up tomorrow night for the Blazers and the Pacers at the Fieldhouse. Good to have you back. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Colts regular season finale at home against the Texans on Sunday. To talk about that, from uh, a guy from CBS 4 and Fox 59 that's been covering them since they got here, Mike Chappell's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I'm assuming that the Texans probably want to lose more than the Colts want to lose on Sunday. Is that fair to say? Colts fans would like to see the Colts lose more. I don't necessarily believe that the Colts and Jeff Saturday do, but the Texans probably want to lose more than they do, right? It's one of those strange games where it behooves both teams to lose. It just does. But if I'm a player, if I'm a coach, I'll talk from the Colts side. I mean, they want to go out on as good a note as they can. And, again, these guys are invested in now. And this season has not ended at at all the way they had hoped. But the idea of going out and losing your last game, compounding it to being against Houston, it would be a very tough way to go into the offseason. It would. And I know people and fans are saying, well, what have you done? And all this is you got to help your draft positioning. That's BS. It's true, but it's BS. These guys want to at least feel good about themselves for the one day and a couple days after the game. But trust me, it helps both teams to lose. Uh, and, And we can make jokes about how, you know, how you, you don't need to score, you don't need this, that, and the other. But these guys want to win, and, and it, it, it's it's not even remotely in their mind to not try to win. It's just not. So, Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59, how realistic is it for us to converse about any Jim Harbaugh possibility? Good question. I mean, it, it, it's an issue until it's not until he comes out and says, I'm staying at Michigan, or I've been offered a zillion dollars by the Walmart guy in Denver, and I'm going to Denver. Until it, until someone shoots it down, Harbaugh or, or Jim Irsay or, or somebody, it's just an issue because, you know, they've sniffed around him before. I'm not saying now, but before. And, you know, he, he's got the tie to the team. I, I, you know, this isn't like Jeff Saturday coming back. Yes, he's a Ring of Honor guy, and we can debate that all you want. This is not a, a, a lifetime cult. This isn't Jeff Saturday. It's not Reggie Wayne. It's not, you know, name the 20 players. He was here for, like, but four years. You know, four, four, uh, four years and a year and a half that was really, really great. So I, I, I question the, the the deep ties in all that between he and the Colts, but, you know, it, it's an issue until it's not, and right now it's still an issue. 
Here's a quote from a statement earlier today. While no one knows what the future holds, <laughs> leaving him a convenient out, by the way, Harbaugh in a statement released today, quote, I expect that I will be enthusiastically coaching Michigan in 2023. I'm aware of the rumors and speculation over the past few days. College and NFL teams of great interest in all our personnel, from players and coaches to staff, and I truly believe that it is a testament to the strength of our University of Michigan football program. But let's double back here. While no one knows what the future holds, I mean, you could. You could absolutely know what your future holds right now. Sure. But you just sure. tend not to want to answer it right now because you want to field some offers to either help yourself maybe gain more financially. Or my question is, I mean, obviously you covered him when he was here as a quarterback in the past, and he does have a, a deeply rooted history here. Does he like all this conversation about him? all these rumors about him does he kind of does he soak that up a little bit or is it more for the financial gain part well both i mean how could you not like you know pe- people always talking about you and always you know teams you know the speculation that he'll go here you'll get 20 million dollars there how do you how do you not like that he as we've talked he he, he can end all the speculation not that who knows what the future holds, but you know, I'm staying at Michigan. Period. That's all you got to say. That's and, it. And what he said, what he said here, left the door open, and it's probably what he should do. I, I go back. I go back to several years ago when the Colts were seriously going after Nick Saban. What he at Michigan State, and and they, I think the Colts thought they had him signed, and he ended up using it to get him a, a bigger, bigger deal. At Michigan State, so you know it, it's leverage, and he'll never—he would have had better leverage if they had won, yes. But he's got major leverage right now. All you need is, you know, if you get two teams sniffing after you, my goodness, it's great. So I understand him. The fact that he hasn't closed the door tells me that if the offer and the situation is right, he'll take it. I mean, how else do you read it? All right, I got a couple of things to ask you. Mike Chappell's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline in terms of Jim Harbaugh. I can't remember if I said to this to you before. You may have heard me say it here on the air. I think as coaches go, he would be the perfect fit here because at the beginning of everything, if Jim Mersey were to hire Jim Harbaugh, I think that would be a much easier, less resistive path to step away and leave all the football trust into the football coach. Do you buy my train of thought with that in mind? You mean impacting the GM? No, I'm not even mentioning the GM. That's before we get to the GM. Because he has him as head coach, Jim is more in tune of not being meddlesome. Because well, he trusts so. and knows. It's, it's much like Saturday, but let's just say a more successful in the NFL as a coach. Jeff Saturday appeal to Jim Irsay where he says, all right, I'm going to do my thing, right? I'm going to do my music. I'll, I'll be a voice as far as NFL owners are concerned, but I will step away from trying to meddle in the fashion in which I have this year. That's why I think 
Harbaugh would be perfect. What do you think? Pro- probably, and and but but in all honesty, that's what Jim needs to do. Jim Ursay needs to do, regardless of who the coach is. He, he just there. He listen as an owner. He, he can do whatever the heck he pleases to do. It's his team. It's his company. He can do what he wants to do. But we've seen where where owners who have their hands on things too much, it's not good. It was really bad uh, when his dad was was the owner because he, he was talking to, gosh, who was it? Was it Dave First at Channel 6 or Sorensen? Probably Sorensen. I don't know. Where the question was, how much football do you know? And he said, just enough to be dangerous. Well, that that is dangerous. So, but I, I think Jim's smart enough to know. I think that that it, the the less he does, the better. And he's felt really strong over the last twelve months about the things he's done. And recently, to me, it's not worked. So, whether it's Jim Harbaugh, whether it's Jeff Saturday, whether it's Ron Rivera, whether it's Leslie Frazier, anybody, put put a name in there. That there has to be a reset with the owner to where he will only you know, always have input, always have input, but only, you know, cast that one vote that matters when it really, really matters. And which, which I'm fine with that. I really am. But I, I think when there's too much, too much, not input, but too much decision, this is, this is the way we're doing it. When there's too much of that, then it's not good. I mean, back in the day, Jimmy told me, that when you get to be an owner, the important thing is to enjoy being an owner and put the right people in place and let them do their jobs. And that, that's what delegation's all about. And I think he, he, he got away from that a little bit. Not a little bit, I mean a lot. Yeah. And, and I think it, it'll just behoove him and the franchise to continue having input and continuing to give the, the vast you know knowledge that he's got but if you got the right people in place, let them do their jobs. And, and it, it, if they fail to do their jobs, you fire them. Uh, with, with, I don't want to say with cause, you can do it whenever. But, but I, yeah, I, I think it's important to get back to where the right people make the right decisions 98% of the times. And, again, we've strayed from that over the last 12 months. Mike Chapel of CBS 4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I said I was in Columbus on Monday and said for the first time since Jim Irsay came out, and again, that was taped prior to the Minnesota game, uh, it was aired on ESPN, that Chris Ballard, yeah, I'm paraphrasing here, would most certainly be back. For the first time, I kind of felt earlier this week that maybe that's not so much going to be true. And I know we were both kind of solidified in that notion that Chris was going to be back, but... Have you lost any confidence with that in mind? Do you think now that there may be something on Monday we find out where Jim Irsay decides after six years you go in a different general manager situation? It could happen. I mean, even though he came out on ESPN and said what he said, that Chris will be back and all this, things change. I I, I don't know how what has happened recently will impact Chris's fate because you know if anything it probably hurts maybe Jeff Saturday but you know they've, they've got injuries and all they're playing you know the, the defense is, is almost 
half our backups because of injuries. And what you've seen from the roster and how it's played, it's it's kind of like been that, you know, you've seen that, and now you're seeing the backups aren't aren't quite good enough. Well, they're backups for a reason. So I don't know who it looks worse on getting your head handed to you the last few weeks. And, boy, if you, I tell you, if Houston comes in here and lays one on them, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, but – uh, yeah. Again, I, I think if the owner was okay with the GM, with how they, with how things were going, I don't know how a couple of bad losses would impact that because that that's the same was going on when you get thumped by Tennessee twice and New England and and all that. So I don't know. All all you can do is say that this is what you said. And but he can come out Monday and say, you know, I changed my mind. And if he does, he does. And as we said, you can argue really, really strong that he needs to change his mind. Uh, but I, I guess until he changes his mind and tells us is that this this is where we are. So I I will expect him to be back until I hear otherwise. Yeah, Mike Chappell joins us. Our friend Bob Kravitz was one of me earlier this week, and I presented him that that similar scenario, and he said. Well, you know, financially speaking, would be the reason why they're not going to do it. And I, I stopped and I said, hey, with what everybody's been told and what has been said about Jim Ursay and going all the way and money's no object to make sure that you construct and put together a winner, a future winner here. I know that it's easy for me to say because it's not my money. When you're paying, you know, you know, two GMs and, and two head coaches and only two right. of the four to actually be doing the job, I know it's easy for me to say, but it can't, that can't be the reason. That can't for Jim Irsay be the reason why, if you feel you need to go a different direction, you gotta. It cannot be at the top of the list financial. But but at some level, it's got, does it impact it? I mean, you know, I saw the report from someone out in Denver that. And you never want to believe, but but the Denver's ready to pay, ready to offer Harbaugh twenty million dollars a year. Well, to to, to, to the Colts, to the Colts say, well, we can do that. I mean, I, I, I know we're we're the idea that like with the quarterback, you do whatever it takes to get the quarterback you want in the draft, and that's one thing. That's draft capital and and all that stuff. Can you say do whatever it takes to get the the, the coach you want if it's going to cost fifteen twenty million dollars a year? Well, then, point, and I understand what you're saying here, but then you can't say I'll do whatever it takes when you don't. I, I get it, I get what you're saying, but then you can't say that. Uh, no, no question, no question. But but uh, and, and that's got to be in the discussion of it. at what point does money matter? Because we're we're talking you know cash, we're talking money up front, and we're talking the commitment and, and all that. And, and yes, I, I think Jim Irsay willing to pay just about whatever it takes player wise and all that. And, and, and coaching wise, but boy, there's gotta be a, a grunt level to where, okay, I can't go over that, but maybe not, maybe not. Uh, but if you're going to get a high, high end coach who has been there and done that again, whether, whether it's, Harbaugh or Sean Payton is not going to come here. Let's not go there. But the Leslie Frazier's got a track record, and he won't come come really, really cheap. 
Uh, if you bring in a college coach, maybe you'll get another college coach. You'd get him for, you know, the bottom third quartile, we'll use the, the, the owner's word, uh, price-wise. But it, 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 I, I, at, at some level, doesn't money have to figure into it? And uh, But that doesn't mean that, that you go blue light special with your head coach. If you don't – we were talking in the press room today, which we do a lot because you can't talk a lot about the team. But you, you just – you know, you've got to get the right guy. And Reggie talked. Reggie Wayne talked about that today. You've got to get the right guy. You've got to get the right guy, whether that's Jeff Saturday who gets to start, you know, fresh uh, with his own staff, all that stuff, or somebody else. You've got to get the right guy. And and I would almost argue it's more important to get the right quarterback because if you don't get the right quarterback, then I don't care who's coaching team they're probably each each the same but but you got it you've got to get them both right and the coaches first just because that's how the dominoes fall so you've got to get got to get that right and if chris bowder is indeed back which until we hear otherwise he's got to be strongly involved in who that coach is because he and the guy have to work hand in hand and it doesn't seem like he's felt that way <laughs> you know, when you think about it, too, in the the two coaching hirings, you go back to Frank when it was supposed to be Daniels, and then obviously Jim Mercy was upset that they got a black guy out of that and that 11th hour departure by McDaniels where he kind of took it over and then went with the advice of his, his standbys and then ended up with Frank Reich. And at the time, you know, Chris had mentioned, he felt more comfortable at that time mentioning that Reich was like seventh or eighth on his list or certainly outside of the top five. And now you're, you're thinking about, you know, this whole head coaching change with Jeff Saturday on the interim basis. It was clear that Chris wasn't on board with that particular decision. There's not any way whatsoever that Chris sitting over there right now would like to find a different destination because he's over it, right? I mean, we're, we shouldn't be thinking about that more than the fact that, well, maybe there's going to be a change just by virtue of making a change from the owner. Well, I don't, you know, Chris isn't going to resign. I mean, gosh, why would you? I mean, why why, why would you walk away from your contract? Uh, and I don't know. I, 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 I can't speak on whether his relationship with Jimmy has, where, how it's differed. I, I know they've they've always been very, very close and, the mutual respect and trust and all that. I don't know how it's changed. Uh, again, it was obvious that Chris wasn't in, in, in agreement with what went on with Frank and, and, and benching Ryan and all that. Uh, I, I am very curious. We talked about it again in the media room that, 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 if, that if Frank had not been fired and if Ryan misses his two games and comes back, this team very likely is, is relevant and might have been pushing for the division because the division is that bad. I just don't know that it would have bottomed out like this. Now, maybe I'm way wrong, and this team was so broken it wouldn't have mattered. But, and, and again, I, I understand every, every argument that after 26-3 to at New England, you had to do it. I understand that. But this team under Frank has, has almost always, except for last year, at the end, found a way to get to get you know to get itself together and, and finish strong but maybe this year was just so broken that it didn't matter and but we're gonna I, I hope we find out 
in the next two or three weeks where this team's going just just for all of our sakes and and we'll find out we could find out very quickly where the well we, we could find out very quickly first about the gm which again i'm 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 believing he's back but then how how long would the coaching search change if it's going if it's going to be jeff saturday it won't it shouldn't be all that long you'll interview two or three or four people and and settle on jeff saturday and if it's somebody else it'll take probably quite a bit longer so mike chapel with us uh, seems like there has been certainly after that vegas game you know, not so much in the Philly. There have been some games, and certainly we have seen it first half of Minnesota. But more times than not with some of these embarrassing finishes and how games have, have concluded, that it, it seems like some of these dudes may not have received the inspiration from Jeff Saturday. Have you noticed that? And was that in particular noticeable at MetLife Stadium this past Sunday? Boy, I, I I tried. I don't know that I've ever just said, "Boy, these guys quit." I, I just I, I can't go there because they only play 17 games. This is their this is their profession, and if they're not trying to impress Jeff Saturday and Chris Ballard, they're trying to impress the other 31 teams. So I I, I don't boy I I don't think so. But boy. What was it, 38 to 10? Since I, I do believe, and a lot of guys in the press room have mentioned this before me, but don't you get the feeling that, that the Vikings just ripped their heart out, just took something from them? It's been, since they, since they were up 33 to nothing, they've been outscored 97 to 16. That's just, that's just terrible. I mean, it's beyond terrible. So, but to say they quit, I don't know. Okereke didn't quit when he had 17 tackles or, or Zaire Franklin. I, I I just think this offense is so broken that at some point it's just it's just boy it's just hard to keep going and boy that, I'm, then I'm leading myself right into that they're not giving 100 percent. But I really don't want to go there because I know what these guys go through. I think there, there may, maybe there's a level of human nature that kicks in. I don't know. But all I know is that if the tape shows that you quit in week 18 or week 17, everybody sees it. And the message that sends is, well, if you quit on them, you're going to quit on me at some point. And no player wants, it, wants the label to be, you know, he quit there and then he quit there. Once you get that label, it's really hard to, to get a serious look from other teams. I'll be honest with you, Mike. You know this as well as I do, that if I'm a coach player, I probably wouldn't want anybody watching a lot of the tape we have seen. I don't, agree. The recent I don't disagree. Month. I don't disagree. Uh, I just I just can't use the quit word. I can't do it. I, 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 I won't do it. But, boy, when it's 38 to 10 and they just been giving a big plays on the offense, can't do squat and – I understand when other people go there, but I just can't go there. Yeah. I mean, you, you go back to, obviously, Vegas. Uh, we saw some motivation there back on the 20th against Philly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Pittsburgh was well, the, the, 30, the 33 points in the fourth quarter at Dallas. I mean, yeah, the offense yeah. turned the ball over. 
But, boy, Dallas, then Dallas just scored so easy. I mean, goodness right. gracious, one play, two it's, plays. It's been everybody. What you're trying to say, it's been everybody. Everybody kind of wants to say, well, you know, the defense hadn't been a part of it, but maybe not all the time, but they have been a significant part of it. In that fourth quarter, they were, and, and they were in the second half against Minnesota. But it also is that the fact that this offense is zero threat out there. Yeah, I mean, you, again, you want to defend the defense because they've played so well at times. And, again, you got these last few games. And, and don't forget, they gave up game-winning four-quarter scores against Philly and Pittsburgh. So, you know, everybody has got a hand in this. Special teams was playing pretty well. And then, you know, then Matt Hawk has a couple of awful kicks. And then Chase McLaughlin misses. Yeah, it was a 48-yarder, but doggone it, you need, you need to hit him and – it's just it's getting to be where it's everybody. It's understandable. Maybe I'm really curious about how they play Sunday, and you know you always talk about well it's pride and this that, and the other. We'll see. I mean it's it's the eye test. It's the eye test, and you know we'll see probably early on how this thing goes. And you know what what's sort of been interesting is how Houston's played some really good. You know they got smoked by Jacksonville, but they've played some pretty good games over the last month or so, six weeks. And you can't say that about the Colts, you know, by and large. So uh, it, it's, it's really, it's really kind of crazy how this is going down and, and whether it's just Saturday or, or, or any other player, you know, this is your, re- this goes on your resume. This will be part of when you go for a job elsewhere, if Jeff sits down with Jim Ursay or whatever, you know, you got to explain you got to explain one and eight, whether you're the coach, interim coach, or or, or a player is, you know, the guy says, that's, oh, tell me about that. You know, what happened and, and sort of what part did you play in it? So it, it, it's just never good when, when, one fun, when it's yeah, like this. Yeah. So I, I, it's, but again, the next three weeks are going to be very interesting. It's funny, and we've talked about this, about how, boy, this offseason is going to be such a critical offseason and all and this one really is because the last two or three haven't haven't panned out. But where this franchise goes for the next, I don't know, six, eight, ten years, you know, what, what happens in the next month is, or the, the next three or four weeks with the coach, and then the draft is really going to determine what this franchise looks like going forward. Final thing with Mike Chapel, when Jeff Saturday a couple of different times when asked about the way. It has gone since that Raiders debut. He said, you know, you don't fire a coach midseason. I, I know what I'm getting into. I, I, I knew what to expect. He's bullcrapping this white. I mean, you didn't expect this. Do you expect a lot of this? Uh, or is that to cushion the blow on the results when he's been the interim head coach? Because there's no way in the world we expected them to lose. But in the fashion in which in a handful of these games they have – that's, I think, beyond expectation, reasonable expectation at the very least. Yeah, I, I, I think the expectation was I'm taking over a bad team because you don't fire a, a coach mm-hmm. uh, it, unless it's a bad team in a bad situation. But I, I don't, like you said, I don't think anybody saw this level. I mean, how many times have we thought, I mean, two or three times, and I've written about is when they reach rock bottom, you know, Dallas. Well, then lo and behold, I wasn't rock bottom. You know, Minnesota was. You're you're setting 
league and franchise records in, for futility. You know, and, and, and in the Giants, what they hadn't scored, it was the most points they scored. It was, it was the biggest margin of, of victory in, in, in the series, which is it's not a super long series, but still. And, you know, they scored, a, they scored their touchdown after, after 30 possessions without a, without a touchdown. It, it's things like that that you knew they were going to have trouble winning and they had a couple of chances, but you never anticipated, at least I didn't, getting, you know, historic numbers at Dallas and, and the, uh, the all-time collapse against the Vikings where they only had to, doggone, they only had to make like two or three plays in the second half. Uh, and, and in the Giants game, and, and but then you go back to to, to the uh, to the Patriots game where Sam Ellinger was put in in, in a awful situation going against Belichick. So it's it, yeah, they, I, he knew it was a bad situation. I don't know if anybody knew it was this bad of a situation. I really don't. So Mike Chapel of CBS Four and Fox Fifty Nine. We'll see. What happens? I tell you. I know. (laughs) It is been awful. This has been, you know, you think about, you know, the transition they made in the suck for luck. You think about 01, you know, with Napoleon Moore, with the Edgerin injury of years of disappointment. That's one thing, but this has been a year of disappointment accompanied by high level embarrassment by the way that you've played and the way things have gone organizationally. This, to me, you've been here since 84, and you saw a lot of losing. We became accustomed to that early on. Is, is this the worst season that you've seen here from top to bottom on the field, organizationally speaking? Well, they, they were 1-15 in 91. But, but, yeah, but we, I understand, but we were used to that then. They were, you know, the expectations. The expectations weren't crap then. Expectations were, especially from what you're told here. So I would also factor that in as why this could be the worst. Well, and yeah, and yeah, what makes this all all the more bad, as you mentioned, is is the high expectations, not only locally, right. but nationally. I mean, this team again, they were considered the the slight favorite to win the AFC South. Let's, let's, the only thing that would come close, probably is after reaching the AFC Championship game in, in 14 to come back and, and, and remember all the big moves they made in the offseason with, with the Andre Johnson and the Andre Johnson, Prince yeah. Cole and people like that. And, 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 you had, and you had your quarterback. You had your quarterback, and, and then it just went to hell. So, so maybe but, – but this, this is worse. It, it, this is just worse because of, you know, again, you're trying – we were talking, you could almost do a David Letterman's list, of a top ten list of bad <laughs> things that have gone on. Yes. And you'd leave some things, you'd leave some things on the floor because there are that many. They so are. Th- this, yeah. this, this is worse for so many reasons. And firing your coach, you know, for the first time under Jim Mersey in the season and all that. Yeah, th- th- this, this has got to be the worst uh, because, of, because of everything you mentioned. Mike, I appreciate you. We'll see you in the press box for a final time on Sunday. Thank you. One more time.